following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. All right, take your copy of God's Word and go to Galatians chapter 2. We are looking at a letter that Paul wrote to one of the churches that he has planted. Uh, We discussed last couple of weeks, uh, most likely his second missionary journey is when he planted this church. Uh, we dated this somewhere around the area of 4950 A.D. at the actual writing of this letter. One of the more difficult things uh, of reading the scriptures, especially when you look at a letter like this, it, it's kind of relating to the original context and the intent that the writer had for this particular letter. Reaching back into the culture in which it was written in and then connecting it to our culture, it's kind of a bridge that's some kind of, sometimes difficult to cross over. But I think there's a lot of things that we can get out of this passage tonight uh, in the setting that it was in and relate them to what we're dealing with today. Uh, as we are defenders of the truth, uh, I hate to say it, but there are sometimes, uh, even with our own denomination, there are some issues where we really have to stand up uh, for what is right, what is scripturally correct, and what the Lord has said, uh, this is the way it should be according to what I've written in my word. Basically, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. The gospel is still fairly new. Uh, church planning is fairly new. So you have the older Jewish tradition still trying to creep back in, basically following behind where Paul has planted these churches at. So in this particular passage, we'll see that there are three distinct groups that we can recognize as we read through it. Uh, there are two from one camp of believers, and there is one group from the false teachers that we have talked about already. Basically, that's what this letter is for, as Paul gives his pedigree, his testimony, uh, and he begins talking about uh, the Judaizers that are still existing in that day-to-day uh, when this was written. Uh, we see that he gets around to the point to where he's going back and talking about some issues that they dealt with early on uh, between himself as one of the later apostles and some of the earlier apostles as well. So the two, the three groups that we're dealing with, two from the camp of the believers, uh, they have some certain issues that they're working, working out, but we also see a group that Paul mentions that is from the false teachers of that time as well. First, we see a group from the uncircumcised believers, that is the Gentiles that Paul has been commissioned to preach the gospel to. Uh, we see this group coming in as Paul, Titus, Barnabas, and a few of the Gentile Christians uh, that are new to the faith. Second, we also see the church back at Jerusalem that Paul is communicating with. We see Peter, James, and John, and some of the other circumcised Jewish Christians. They have believed in the gospel. They have accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the one who has died for our sins. So this final group is the one that we need to be aware of. The final group is from the other camp, the false teachers, or as Paul signifies uh, here as the false brethren or the so-called Christians. Uh, we see that in verse 4 of this passage. So those who are looking... Uh, Hold on just a minute. <laughs> so the, the ones who are looking around, uh, seeing who the Judaizers are, 
there are some who are moving around behind the Apostle Paul. They are undermining the gospel. And these are the ones basically that the Apostle Paul is giving the clear warning about, uh, especially in this passage here. So we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll unpack it into four different uh, points. So beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Then after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. So last week we discussed that it was approximately three years before Paul ever made his first journey to Jerusalem after his conversion. So he really didn't have any influence from the original apostles. What he was saying was is that the gospel was revealed to me. Uh, We talked about that word reveal or revelation uh, mentioned a couple of times in chapter 1. It's mentioned again here in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Titus is one of those uh, uncircumcised Gentiles. He is of Greek descent. So Paul is bringing him as a witness to someone who the gospel can truly impact outside of the Jewish believers. And he says, I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. For from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to be circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. What in the world does that have to do with us as a modern 21st century church that believes fully in the gospel, that doesn't practice any Judaism rituals or customs? What does this have to do with us? There will be some times when doctrines divide us, There will be sometimes, I've heard some of you say this, well, you know, on that topic, we can just, what, agree to disagree. Sometimes that's acceptable. Sometimes that's not acceptable. How do you determine the two? How how do you uh, separate those two? And how can you say that this is what the Bible truly says, this is what our doctrine teaches, and this is what I'm going to stand on no matter what? And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at, and that's what he's trying to teach the churches of Galatians here by writing this letter and by including this particular incident in this letter. 
So the first thing that we're going to see happens in verses 1 and 2. When Paul makes his way back to Jerusalem after 14 years, we see, number one, that he presents a unified front with this group that he is bringing from the Gentile side. So when you defend the truth, when you go with other believers who are like-minded with you, always prevent a unified front. Always prevent... Uh, present a unified front. Now, we don't know for sure if this is 14 years from the first visit to Jerusalem or 14 years after Paul's conversion. It really doesn't uh, matter much. So if you'll remember this, Paul is bringing Barnabas with him, and he's also bringing a Gentile believer by the name of Titus with him. And if you'll remember, Barnabas was assigned to Paul not by the church at Jerusalem, but by the church at Antioch. When Antioch became that missionary hub that we read about in the book of Acts, uh, they assigned Barnabas to him when Paul was a fresh convert uh, for the main reason of verifying his apostleship. The church back at Jerusalem remembered Saul of Tarsus as one who persecuted the church. Well, now he's converted to Christianity He's a believer, he's a follower of the Lord, he's been baptized, and Barnabas is going with Paul to Jerusalem to say, hey, look, this guy's the real deal. Jesus has spoken to him, Jesus has saved him, and you don't have to be afraid anymore. He's one of us now. And if you remember, the name Barnabas Barnabas means what? Son of encouragement. So Barnabas' role served two purposes, not only to verify Paul's apostleship, but to encourage Paul along the way. And he is now a part of this unified front that Paul is bringing to Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem for a specific reason, to let them know that, hey, there are people in the Gentile nation, they're uncircumcised, and God is saving them just like he saved you as well. But Barnabas is going with Paul uh, to show that Paul was legitimate and he's not a threat any longer. But if you'll remember that in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Paul and Barnabas split over some controversy with John Mark during their first missionary journey. Eventually, all indications point that they were reconciled. Uh, We see that in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 and also in 2 Timothy 4, 11. So considering that this letter was written after the second missionary journey and at least 14 years from the first trip to Jerusalem, that this would have to have been sometime on their first journey that Paul and Barnabas returned to Jerusalem to present this case to the church there in Jerusalem. Also, they are presented here as a unified front. So most likely, uh, they would, this would have had to happen prior to their split over John Mark. Nevertheless, what the, Paul, what the Apostle Paul is teaching to the churches of Galatia is that a unified front on any endeavor is of utmost importance. How important is a unified front? How important is it that we here as a church present a unified front, that we're all in agreement to our church covenant, we're all in agreement to the doctrines that we stand on, we're all in agreement to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, I've said it time and time again, what does Jesus say is a number one indication that we are followers of him. He said they will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for each other. And at this point, Paul and Barnabas have that common brotherhood. They have that common bind. And now they have Titus joining in with them as well in this unified front. 
Jesus said, they will know that we are his disciples by our love for each other. Who is it that you have a unified front with? Who is it that you have that's a brother or sister in Christ that you know you're like-minded? You're on the same plane with your doctrines. You're in agreement with everything that you believe in. How important is it for us to have unity during times like we're in today? The psalmist wrote in chapter 133, verse 1, he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And how important is it now for this church and the church at Jerusalem, the church at Galatia, to see Paul writing about this unified front between him and Barnabas and now a new believer as well. I think it's very, very incredible, and I think it bears a lot of uh, weight in this letter to show this church, hey, this is how you're supposed to defend the truth, is by going forward as a unified front. One of the things I love about this insight program that we're involved in. I love getting to meet the, the students. I love getting to minister to them. I love getting to hear their testimonies of what's going on in their school. I love to see their responses to some of the devotionals that they bring. But one of the things that I've grown to love more than anything else is someone else from another church, even another denomination, we get together and we form a unified front, and the students see that, and the teachers and the faculty see that as well. When we, when we meet in the hall, it's not just a handshake or a hello. We hug each other. We greet each other, uh, with a, a hug, a handshake. Hey, brother, how you doing? How's your day? God's so good. What's going on in your life? Man, I just had the most incredible conversation. And we love to hear the students. We, we love to know that the students are hearing what's going on and they see us working together. They see that we have a, uh, unified front. We have a common motive. We have a common mission. And we have one goal in mind is to get together and minister to those students. We see in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 that ultimately the leaders of Jerusalem, what do they do when they, when they see the apostle Paul? I don't know if you picked up on that when we read through it. It said when James, Cephas, and John, uh, they were pillars in the church. They perceived that the grace had been given. What do they do? They received them with a right hand of fellowship. When they saw this unified front, that Paul and Barnabas was still working together, that they had one of their most recent converts with them, they said, hey, these guys are doing a genuine work from the Lord. They're, they're one of us. And let's greet them with the right hand of fellowship and let's verify that what they're doing is legitimate and what they're doing is promoting the kingdom of the Lord. What a witness this is to the Galatian church, a newly planted church, that there is a worldwide effort going on to prevent truth decay here in this first century church. So us as a church, when people see us doing ministry here in the community, whether it's with only with our church or maybe with its, uh, especially with, with another church, We've teamed up with someone else here in this community, another church body in this year. It reveals to the public that there is something special that takes place within a body of believers that you don't typically see in most civic organizations. I love what happened during the wind-shaped camps. Multiple churches coming together to bring something to this community 
that impacts our youth, our students, and it shows the community that, hey, we're working together. We have a common interest to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see that these kids have something positive impacting their life. And what we did when we marched into that municipal auditorium is we had a unified front. Everybody had their job. They had their orange T-shirts on. They had their role. They had their station. And they wanted to make sure that this was going on for the sake of the children in our community. And I think what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is preventing truth decay here in the church of Galatia. When he writes this letter, and they read this letter that, hey, these guys were working together to form a a unified front. That's what we need to do as well. As a young church, as a new church, as a church is dealing against truth decay, this is what we need to do as well. We need to be unified on the things that we do. So to be a defender of the truth, always present a unified front. Next thing we're going to see in point two is that be certain of the motive of your mission. What's driving you right now? What is your motive? What kind of a mission are you on? No doubt about what the Apostle Paul's mission was. God clearly told him you are to take the message to the Gentile nation. You're to take the gospel to them. And so here in verse 2 we see this word revelation again for the third time in the book of Galatians. The word revelation in the Greek is a word apocalypsis, meaning what is revealed or a disclosure. And so the New Living Translation, I read through this passage in our New Living Translation, it explains it this way. Apostle Paul says, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go there. God sent Paul to Jerusalem and led him to include this meeting here in this letter to Galatia because the Lord wanted to indicate to everyone that they were in agreement over this issue of believers uh, required or not required to be circumcised for salvation purposes. He says, I went up by revelation. He said, God told me specifically to take this message, to take this new believer, to take this issue that we're dealing with, and let's get it ironed out. Let's get it straightened out. Let me meet with the pillars in the community, the pillars in the church in Jerusalem, I know what their stance is on it, but here's what God is doing in the Gentile nation. And that was the motive for his mission is to reveal to them that there's a a controversy going on here and we need to take care of it. So the motive of Paul's mission was to convey to the Jerusalem church that he was indeed on a mission from the Lord. So how about you? How about you in your life? Do you ever really get the urge or the notion that there's something you need to do or someone you need to go talk to? Do you ever get a revelation that God says, I have a message that I want you to bring to this person. They're having issues in their life. You've been through it before. You have a message. You have a testimony. You have a witness that you can bring to someone What's the motive of your mission? Who is it that the Lord is calling you to deal with? When is the last time that you went to someone and maybe confronted them over an issue? Paul says, look, we can keep going on this mission. 
We can have our, our, our odds. We can have uh, dealings over this issue. We can leave it alone or we can go together and rectify this disagreement that we have over this topic of circumcision. And whether it not or not, it relates to matters of salvation. How do we know for sure what God is wanting to reveal to us or what God is wanting to use us to reveal to someone else? How do we know for sure what God is revealing to us on certain matters that we're dealing with in our culture today? Well, number one, it must line up with Scripture. God's not going to ask you to do something or tell someone something that is contrary to his nature, or his word. There's no doubt about it. The Apostle Paul had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he told him clearly, I've got a message that I need you to bring to an unsaved Gentile nation. What was Paul's motive for this particular mission to Jerusalem and including this information in the letter to the churches at Galatia. Number one, to prevent any false information arriving in Jerusalem that would alert Peter, James, and John. Paul says, I'm going to get there before the false messages about my ministry and my preaching and my teaching get there. I want to go and I want, I want them to hear it from the horse's mouth. That this is what the Lord has called me to do. This is the motive of my mission. That's one motive for his mission to Jerusalem. The second one is to alert the Galatian churches of teaching that was added to the gospel and the salvation provided through Jesus Christ. He says, let's just put an end to this right now. The Judaizers are out there. They're saying you must adhere to the Jewish customs in order to obtain salvation. The Judaizers are out there saying that there is no way that salvation can come only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is including this encounter with the church at Jerusalem so that the Galatians will see what the truth is. What what about the message for us? The The necessity to accurately communicate what has been revealed to us as well. Before we embark on a mission to reconcile or warn someone, you better check your motives. Are your motives from some self-seeking agenda that you have? Is it from some personal opinion that you have? Do they intend to benefit the other party and draw them closer to the Lord? What are the motives for your mission? What are the motives for the message that you have for someone else? What has God revealed to you that's going to put you on a mission to intervene and interact on someone's behalf? Point number three, if you're going to be a defender of the truth, know when to use open rebuke and when to proceed privately. If you'll notice the Apostle Paul here, he goes to the people directly. He has some kind of a meeting with them. Uh, He talks to specific people, Peter, James, and John. 
He doesn't make an open spectacle of it. He doesn't want to air out all of their dirty laundry. But there was a time when Paul had to go to Peter face to face. We're going to cover this next week uh, later on in chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, he said he had to go to him face to face and confront him over an issue, but not this issue that they're dealing with about the uncircumcised Gentiles. They went to them privately to address this issue. In verse, uh, the latter part of verse two, he says, but I went privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. He said, this is something we don't need to put on CNN or Fox News. This We don't need the daily paper to get a hold of this. We just need to get into a room by ourselves, and we need to sort through this issue. And for us, we need to have a distinct ability to know when it's time to go to that person one-on-one when you have an issue with them, or when you know that they're off into some sin that they shouldn't be in, When God reveals to you an issue maybe that they're dealing with, you need to have that discernment to know, hey, I've got to go just to this person alone and see if we can work it out. If they'll repent of what's going on, if my advice will help them, if what the Lord has revealed to me will help them in that situation, we've won, we've scored. But if they reject that, maybe then it's time to take it a step further. And I think if the Apostle Paul would have had issues when he first met with them privately, he might have took it up to a higher level. But right here he says there's a time that we need to privately meet with these matters and discuss them and take care of them before everyone in the community knows about it. Jesus gave some steps on how to resolve issues of conflict. Uh, Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 for just a minute. We'll see how... Uh, Jesus said we need to take steps to dealing with a sinning brother or someone who has an issue. Maybe God has revealed something to you that you need to go to a person. You don't know exactly how to handle it. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, here's how you deal with someone who strayed away from the truth, who's not living the way that they should. Maybe they've done something to you personally. Maybe they've done something to your family. Maybe it's something within the confines of your church congregation. I don't know. But here's what Jesus said. He said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, first of all, between you and him alone. And that's what Paul did with this issue over the uncircumcised Gentiles. He went to the church of Jerusalem and said, let's get this issue taken care of. Jesus said, you go first of all to that person, and you and you alone, him alone, you discuss it, you take care of it. He says, if you, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. Take it to the next step. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And then there's one last step that he gives for this. He says, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't resolve the issue, here's your last and final step. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So where would the apostle Paul have gone with this issue if they hadn't listened to him in this private meeting that they had? I I don't know how he would have hashed it out but I'm glad that they got this issue aired out uh, for our sake and for the sake of the churches at Galatia 
Know when to rebuke openly and know when to proceed privately as well. There were times when Peter and Paul, they didn't see eye to eye on some of the issues. They didn't agree to disagree. They just flat out disagreed on this one topic. Peter was teaching one thing and practicing another, and the apostle Paul called him out on it. We'll see this later on in the chapter 2 that we're in right now. There are times when we will agree over certain concepts, but we better make sure that we can base our defense on what God has clearly revealed in the scriptures. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about apologetics and how we should always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason, the hope that's within us. However, there's something you need to remember when you're practicing apologetics. When you're getting ready to give a defense, your goal is never, ever just to win the argument. That shouldn't be your goal. Your goal should always be to win a brother or sister. If we win an argument, sometimes we lose the ability to win a soul for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're taking away from the harvest and not adding to it. So when you set out on a mission like this, when you set out to maybe rebuke someone openly or privately, always check your motives. Make sure you're in it not just to win the argument, but you're in it to win that person for the Lord. And the next thing that we see in this passage is that we need to respect, have respect for the views of others, and that does not signify acceptance. Whenever we respect the views of others, that doesn't signify that we accept what they're standing for. Notice how Paul mentions that they did not require Titus to be circumcised. He says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So I think they resolved this issue pretty quickly. They accepted what the Apostle Paul was preaching. They had respect for his view. They believed that the Lord had revealed to him the matter of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. But Paul mentions this specifically, that the church in Jerusalem did not require Titus to be circumcised after his conversion. He was born a Gentile but converted to Christianity. And Paul emphasizes this matter to the Galatian churches to further shore up their defense against the local Judaizers that were creeping in. Paul emphatically calls out the false brethren and highlights the acceptance by the Jerusalem leaders. So what did this meeting accomplish? Did they have respect for each other's views? Did they accept each other's views? Are there times when we need to agree to disagree? Are there times when we need to just flat out disagree and not accept the doctrine that someone is bringing to us? That's why it's so, so important to get into the scriptures and understand what the scriptures say and know what the truth is. That way when false teaching does try to creep in, you have the right and the ability to stand up against it. What did this meeting accomplish between Paul and the church at Jerusalem? In the end, we see uh, that they greeted him with the right hand of fellowship. They perceived that the grace had been given to 
to the apostle Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was defending the truth of the gospel and what the Lord has called him to do, the motive of his mission. They had their private meeting. They aired out their issues between each other and no one else that didn't have to go outside of that room. And now they respected each other's views and what the Lord is telling them to do. And they also see that each one of us has a part in God's kingdom building process. Peter and the Christians at the Jerusalem church, they're taking the message to the circumcised Jews and converting them. And Paul and Barnabas are taking the gospel message to the uncircumcised Gentiles because that's what their specific calling was. And in the end, we see that the church of Jerusalem emphasizes this one matter. Go to the Gentiles. But he also says, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so this one matter, they did see eye to eye on that God has a heart for those who are less fortunate, that the church was developed and put together to assist people like that to meet their physical needs before they meet their spiritual needs. So even though they were diverse in one particular point of matter, the issue of circumcision, there was a matter that they saw completely eye to eye on and said, this is what we're working towards This is one issue that we all agree on. You have your mission. You have your assignment. I have my mission. I have my assignment. But neither one of us are wrong. And they worked through their disagreements. They worked through their issues. And they were able to continue getting the gospel out to lost souls of the Gentile nation. Warren Wiersbe had this to say about unity. He says, unity and diversity must work together or one will destroy the other. Unity without diversity is uniformity, but diversity without unity is anarchy. And I just thank the Lord that the Apostle Paul was bold enough and wise enough to see that there was an issue that they weren't in total agreement on He knew what the Lord had revealed to him and he marched up to Jerusalem and said, look guys, we got to work this out. We have a kingdom to grow. We have a gospel to spread and we can't let this stand in our way any longer. And he included in this letter to the church at Galatia to let them see that there are ways that churches can work through their issues and work through their differences and continue to keep their eyes focused on promoting the gospel to a lost and dying world. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and we just thank you so much, Lord, for loving us the way that you do. We thank you that you have given us your word, Lord God, to help us prevent truth decay. And I thank you that you called us, Lord God, to defend the truth. And Lord, help us to be wise enough to stand up to the corruption that's going on in our world today. Lord, sometimes even in our own denomination, we see false teaching creeping in. And there comes a time, Lord God, when we have to stand up for the truth of what you called us to preach and teach. So 
So I pray, Lord God, that here at this church, you'll help us to be defenders of the truth. You'll help us to be sound upon our doctrine. You'll help us to be focused on reaching this lost world, Lord God. And help us, Lord God, most of all, to be able to resolve issues when they rise up in the way that you prescribed it. Lord, to go in privately to that person that we're having the disagreement with, to work through those issues, Lord God, and not have to take it any step further than that. And I just thank you, Lord God, in advance for what you're going to do as you prepare us to go out and evangelize our community, Lord God. We seek revival. We seek your truth. We seek your word. And we just rejoice in the fact, Lord God, that you're allowing our congregation to grow each and every day, Lord God. Help us to continue to further the gospel, Lord God, in everything that we do. And we just give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.